Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for March 8th in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our one of two, and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, we use the checks and balances defined in the supreme law of the land, the Constitution, the United States of America as our guide. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. I got a little bit of a recap before we kick off the show today. I didn't get to it yesterday because we had Brighty on TV simulcast with Liberty Roundtable Live. Uh, but, man, have we got some stuff that I've just got to make sure that you have had the chance to hear. On Monday, I was with Dr. Scott Bradley, freedomsrisingsun.com, and we talked about shame. That's right. We talked about the anniversary or whatever you want to call it, the shame of Dred Scott versus Sanford, 1857. What a scandalous reality. If you haven't dug into that, you got to go listen to that broadcast. We also talked about the annual commemoration of the 1836 Battle of the Alamo. Yeah, incredible there, folks. Good, honest Americans standing up against all odds, shall I say. We also talked to our guest, Marjorie Wildcraft. She's the founder and CEO of the Grow Network, the largest online community of homesteaders, thegrownetwork.com. She's made it her life's mission to teach people how to grow incredible food, folks. It doesn't matter if you're old. doesn't matter if you have a lot of land. There's ways to get it done. We're talking about a grid-down situation, even if you have no experience, folks. Backyardfoodproduction.com is another one of her sites. How much land does it take? What are the best bug-out locations and more? We talked about her free webinar and then her training for 200 bucks. You can check all that out. We have the opportunity to save the lives of our communities, folks. Famine is no joke. It is real, and at some point it will come. Don't know when. I don't play games with timing because whenever you do that, you get snookered. But I'm telling you right now, it's coming. We also talked about the um, the Elliott family. Or I'm sorry, the Gillespie's family. They purchased a 130-acre farm. It's called Living Farm. Thelivingfarm.org to learn more. And the reason I mention this is because they have a greenhouse that's incredible. And they talk about the greenhouse workshop, which is incredible, too. For anybody in the north climates where it gets cold, you got to work on that. Second, let's see. Then we talked to Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org. And we talked about the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. The ATF has no business maintaining these records in a, quote, digital searchable database that could eventually be weaponized, I say that it's already happening, weaponized against gun owners. Folks, you have got to push and shut that criminal enterprise down, okay? Um, we talked about the North Nord Stream pipelines being blown up. Seymour Hearst wrote an incredible article about it. Check that out. We talked about the anti-war movement roars back to life. Ron Paul. We talked about secession is inevitable. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when, Ryan McMakin writes. 
Yeah, one of the blessings of this country was federalism. That's the idea that each state was independent and sovereign. Nationalism, folks, is not federalism. That's a one-size-fits-all, top-down, thugocracy rule plan. Nationalism, by the way, is coercing 330 million Americans to do or not to do something. It's criminal, folks. It's against our founders' intent for the country and against the rule of law and against God's ordained law as well. That was Monday's show. Tuesday, Sam takes on Jason Wilson Sr., investigative reporter for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, turns out Thomas Webb Jurgens, lawyer for the Southern Poverty Law Center, arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. That's right. It broke out in Atlanta on Sunday. They were protesting this uh, facility to train cops in Atlanta. They started out as a, you know, a, a protest, but it went all wrong when these thugs all dressed up in black and literally started uh, burning police cars, destroying equipment, literally attacking the cops with Molotov cocktails and other incendiary devices. It was March 5th, Sunday night, while you and I are going to church and celebrating with our families, these thugs are out rioting and raising hell. Yeah, a group of violent agitators took advantage of the peaceful protest. Among them was this thug from the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Atlanta Police Department documented that all of them were out of state except for two of them, one of them being the SPLC attorney. Yeah, the SPLC attorney was arrested, got his mug shot and the whole bit. The SPLC has lots of money, folks. They say their endowment is or $731 million. Tucker even says, Tucker Carlson says the Southern Poverty Law Center is a terrorist group. So do 20-plus attorney state generals. And then they say the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and the FBI are going to investigate this. But, folks, that's a sham, too. They're not going to do any such thing. The FBI has historically been using and in bed with the Southern Poverty Law Center from the beginning, folks. And either way, the Southern Poverty Law Center are getting brutalized so much in the comments on their own website. Believe it or not, they now have shut off comments. That's right. We talked about that with Sheriff Mack on Brideon TV. Uh, as you all know, I'm the CEO of CSPOA. Uh, and so Richard Mack and I have been relentlessly attacked by these goons. Uh, then Richard was with me second hour on radio. And we talked about the Southern Poverty Law Center says that this attorney was just an observer representing the National Lawyers Guild. Sounds official, folks, but it's not. It's just a bunch of left-wing lackeys who provide legal assistance for Antifa and everybody else with their big purse. Keep in mind, folks, they lie about me. The Secret Service vetted me. When I went to the Republican National Convention, the FBI has vetted me many times because I've had financial fiduciary licenses, and so they take your thumbprints and fingerprints and everything else. They know that I'm not a a problem but the southern poverty law center continues to lie but it's interesting they attacked me and a week later their attorney caught up in terrorism charges yeah tucker carlson claims january 6 footage demolishes claims of insurrection uh it turns out that these uh capitol police were escorting all these people around the capitol unlocking doors forming a whole lot more in the videos okay on one hand it sounds good Tucker saying, oh, they lied and we caught him. The mainstream press trying to attack Tucker, saying, oh, how dare you, Tucker, uh, to paint this dishonest narrative. But, folks, I've got news for you about Tucker Carlson. I don't believe 
in any way that Tucker Carlson's telling you the truth. Now, he's bringing out just enough to make you incensed, but never enough for criminal action and arrest of these thugs. Okay? Look, it was a PSYOP conducted by military personnel in bed with who knows who. Ray Epps, one of the leaders, he runs free, while Stuart Rhodes and others are in jail. It's a criminal enterprise from the get-go. Tucker Carlson is their media goon on the front lines to pretend he's getting out the truth. And he is, a little bit. He's got to tell you enough truth to make you buy the lie. But let me just give you the example. The Daily Caller, which is Tucker Carlson's, he's the founder, one of the founders of this organization. Now he sits on the board. But listen to the reporting from his own organization, and then we'll talk about this really quick before we get to the discussion of the day. Tucker Carlson says that footage of the Capitol riot demolishes claims by Democrats that an insurrection occurred. All right? That's fine. We agree. But listen. He says this. Our producers had unfettered access to the Capitol surveillance video. Yeah. Neither the speakers of, or Speaker of the House nor the bosses at Fox News in any way interfered with our investigation. Really? The speaker didn't interfere? Well, then how come the speaker only gave Tucker the 41,000 hours? And why is Tucker relying on his producers to give him the information? See, our producers had unfettered access, he says. Well, if that's true, Tucker, why don't you upload it to a server? And why don't you let all of us download it, Tucker? Because you don't have unfettered access, and I'll prove it to you. The rest of the story of the Daily Caller makes these following points. Are you ready? The 40 or so thousand hours of tape. Most of it turned out to be irrelevant, says Tucker. Static shots of empty rooms far away from the Capitol itself. That's his statement now. But then he says this. To find relevant videotape, our producers were given the use of Capitol Police computers with advanced mapping software that made it easy to find what we were looking for. And then he wraps up by saying this. Before airing any of this video, we checked first with the Capitol Police, and we are happy to say their reservations were minor and for the most part they were reasonable and then he says they wanted us to obscure a door in the capitol building and that's really about all now folks i don't know how stupid you are either tucker carlson is the dumbest one in the room or tucker carlson thinks you're the dumbest one in the room i kid you not okay think about that folks Tucker says most of the video is just irrelevant stuff. Well, there's no way he looked through all 40,000 hours. There's no way even his producers or his team did that. But they say we're using Capitol Police computers. Well, I would never use their computers to analyze my data, folks. I'll tell you that right now. Secondly, they've got high-tech mapping software to help Tucker find what he's looking for? Are you kidding me? We're going to trust the Capitol cops. The FBI, whoever's controlling these machines, to go ahead and help him find what he's looking for? 
How stupid is this guy? Until you give me all the hours of video that I can analyze on my own machine, in my own environment, in my own world, and let me write the algorithms of how to dig, or let me find a way to watch all the hours, or let me use an algorithm to find empty static, empty room video and delete that from the videos so that I can narrow down the search. Unless you let me or anybody do that, you are lying through your teeth, you thug straight from the pit of hell. You're so freaking dishonest, it's not even funny. The government, Capitol Police, computers are the only way you get to look at this stuff. And then only with their algorithm, their quote, what do they call this thing? Their high-tech mapping software that helps Tucker find what he's looking for? Has he lost his mind? Or is he really that stupid? Listen, the use of capital computers with, listen, advanced mapping software. Maybe that's to make sure you only find what they want you to find, Tucker. Have you thought about that? Are you really that stupid? I don't mean to be rude here, and I know I'm supposed to be civil, but this is just so over the top. I don't even think you could be polite about it anymore. This is just a sham from the get-go, and Tucker's as guilty as the rest. Why? Because what he should be doing is say, hey, if you give me unfettered access to this thing, then I can release all of it. No, Tucker's not doing that. He then pretends his producers, man, they're just crack, study, good, honest. Oh, yeah, they're hanging out with the Capitol Police and whoever's got control of those computers, and they're using the government mining software to make sure they've got it all. And Folks, this is just, I, I just, I don't even know how to, anyway. All right, Lance Miliacho with me, ladies and gentlemen. You know him from the BigMig.com syndicated radio and TV show. Uh, the tip of the spear, if liberty means anything, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. Nobody wants to hear me say this, but it's the truth, Lance. Sam, first off, thanks so very much for having us back on. I'm happy you can tolerate us as well as you do. Appreciate it. And uh, wow. I mean, it's it's obvious that what Mitch McConnell promised when he made those concessions, when he had the problem that he voted in as speaker and he sat there negotiating, he said he was going to release all 41,000 yeah, Kevin McCarthy, though. Kevin McCarthy. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy. Yes, I sir. apologize. Yeah. And what's really frightening about that is that he promised to release it to everybody. Now, here we get with this restri restrictive release uh, right away saying they were only going to give it to Tucker Carlson. And then they said he was only allowed to look at it on site. Now we know about the mapping software, which is also restrictive, and we have no idea. I'm sure there's a way to go into that mapping software and just check boxes for which videos you don't want to be searchable. So I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's ridiculous. The American people deserve better. It's one big lie. McCarthy yeah, hasn't provided. Yet, rather than checking boxes of what you don't want to see, I'm just going to basically have a back-end list of what videos I'm allowing you to see. And that even exactly. means more because the rest is absolutely off the table because the software, in theory, doesn't even know about it. Okay? Listen, IT we did a show. Living, folks. Well, we did a show over on Pete Santilli's show, and Pete's done a great job. You know, they were using uh, geofencing, uh, facial recognition, all sorts of things on the crowds. And he's got where they were communicating using uh, – they were popping smoke. And in military, obviously, you pop smoke for signaling. When you, when you know you can't use comms completely. The point of the matter is, it's obvious that it was a Fed surrection. 
that the federal agents from multiple different agencies were were infiltrated throughout the crowds, and they were the ones causing any sort of uh, violence or insurrection. We've seen, at least from the videos that Tucker provided and other videos have been released from people's cell phones, that in fact, these people were walking through quietly. They were staying inside of the ropes. They were being guided around by law enforcement, the Capitol Police, who I don't trust at all. Uh, you know, I think the whole thing was orchestrated, and this is my comment, and, you, and then I'm going to go back to you, is that Nancy Pelosi, I think she was responsible for the entire Fed surrection. I think she organized it, plotted it, planned it, and turned it into exactly what she wanted, which was fear-mongering so that peaceful protesting across the United States, people are afraid. They don't want to be put in jail. You know, fathers, daughters, grandmothers, grandfathers. You know, you look at who they're holding, you know, that, that those poor J6 defendants that, in my opinion, their speedy trial rights have been violated. They've been held unlawfully where they should have been given bond because many of them have no priors. And some of them are being held on trespassing charges. It's absolutely criminal. And that's my take on it. I don't trust any of it. I don't trust what they're doing. I want the videos released to the American public, to everyone, so everyone can do their own research. Roger that in their own environments, not manipulated and pervert. It, it, folks, it's beyond imagination. George Ballantine, producer and co-host of TheBigMig.com. Welcome your thoughts, sir. Thank you, Sam, and thank you for having us on the show. Survived, um, we survived the last one. Um, so let me start with Tucker, I'm going to say. So I go like this. I said this out this morning on a tweet. He who controls the money controls the information. So who's controlling it? You know? Is Tucker being controlled? I think so, yes, but I don't trust Tucker because if you've seen, um, and you see how the left, even the right are using a text message he had with one of his, um, I don't know, his producers, how he's, in 2021, how he's talking about Trump, like he hates him passionately and it was just not a good look, but they're trying to use that against us and I can care less whether he likes Trump or not. I care what he, if he puts out the news and, and if it's real. So he's giving us little feelers on the footage and not really giving us what we should rightfully have. So if you look at, when you have bipartisan actually agreeing, you know something's wrong. Because if you looked at Chuck, uh, Chucky Schumer and Mitch McConnell, both, both agreeing about Tucker Carlson, right then and there, those, those two are, you know, one, well, and what, what they're doing, as far so. as I can tell, George, is they are basically trying to make Tucker the deep state-controlled conservative line. Hey, Tucker's gone too far. Now they know the line. The mark has been set. Whatever Tucker says is the furthest we're going to go. Anything else is whacked out, right-wing extremist conspiracy theory, and everything's going to move left and kind of uh, eventually go away from there. It riles 100%. everybody up, but yet, hey, they're not going to do anything else it, folks it is a sham but you know what let's get john thaler esquire of the harris thaler law corp he's attorney and investigation expert with us welcome john and your thoughts on this thing well thank you so much for having me i appreciate it uh well let me say this you know as somebody who deals with large volumes of information you know box loads of files box loads of records box loads of video Etc. Um, I'm just going to say it this way. I agree with a lot of the things that you're saying, but for me, I was just much more disappointed in the presentation. It seemed to me that there were two different presentations being made. One was about the insurrection and whether there was an insurrection and who led it and who was in charge. The other part was to follow around a number of the narratives and try to debunk narratives that had come out. 
I think in terms of debunking some of the narratives, uh, you know, the shaman story, uh, the Epps story, uh, you know, stuff like that, I thought he, that was fine. I thought he did a good job. You can see the tapes, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. You know, 41,000 hours of footage, probably of which most of which probably isn't all that relevant and, and probably doesn't make any sense. But 41,000, you know, pages of footage or, or video footage, uh, it just it really should have been provided to everybody. It has to be provided to everybody. News media will make of it what they will, but you've got to make this stuff available to people. They've got to be able to see it, and they've got to be able to make up their own minds. I don't need Tucker Carlson or anyone else giving me a narrative walkthrough, you know, of those of those footages, you know, that footage of tape. I can see it for myself and figure it out. The problem with all this, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're not getting. Okay. Yes, Tucker's pretty bold in the things that he's willing to tell you, and I agree with Johnny's. You know, a lot of that's pretty good. It's what you're not being told, the pop smoke discussions. Uh, but here's what's fascinating to me. The Epic Times had most of the footage that Tucker and most of the facts that Tucker put out months and months and months ago in their counter video and narrative to the government um, hearings on this topic. Uh, th- we really don't have a whole lot new, at least from Tucker, compared to the Epic Times. Um, the only new stuff we have are when investigators like Pete Centilli and others dig and get facts on the table that we didn't have before. But Tucker's not even revealing a whole lot, John. No, I, and, that's, and that's the problem. I, I was extraordinarily disappointed. For something that was hyped so much, I was expecting not only a full hour each night on it, but a whole lot more videotape. I want to see the, the parts where there were violence, because there were parts that were violent. I want to see the parts that were not violent, because there were parts that were not violent. So to see what was really about five, ten minutes worth of footage altogether and then run in a loop over and over and over again as if I didn't see it the first five times um, was an extremely disappointing show, and it really didn't, didn't meet the hype. And, and you know, the only way to do this, is, as I can tell, is to do kind of a special and maybe a two- or three-hour one where you show different part, parts of the tape, and then you make it available. If the tapes are not going to be made available, then that was a totally worthless exercise. And when we say made available, ladies and gentlemen, not in a manipulated way that McCarthy pretends. He's a deep stater. He wanted you to believe he was going to release it because that's what it took, a promise to become a speaker. But he snookered everybody. And the fact that Carlson doesn't call him out to account on that is what um, shocks me, frightens me the most. Look, you've got to say, Kevin, you promised to release this. That doesn't mean to one news guy that's, quote, Republican, blaming the Democrats and partisan. That doesn't mean to one network that's proven to be uh, our enemy. Okay, they came out saying, hey, we believe in vote fraud, election fraud. Then behind the scenes, all the hosts are saying this is totally bogus and debunked. And now all that's coming out in court. Look, Fox is not to be trusted. They never have been. Okay, and Tucker Carlson, you know what? You've done better than most in the media. But again, you're staking out the far right position as far as they'll allow you to go for your big paycheck. All right. But the fact is, we need all this information released, not viewable on government controlled computers with mapping software, making sure you see what's OK and not what's not, etc. Okay, this is just too much. Ladies and gentlemen, Lance, why don't you finish up your thoughts? Take us into the break. Then we'll come back and announce our next incredible guest. You know, uh, Sam, two words, exculpatory evidence. Those people that are being held have a right to have all that video released because it's part of their defense. 
the, the defendants are sitting in there and they're not being provided all the tools and all the evidence that they're using against them. So this exculpatory evidence is being hidden and they have a right to it. They have a right to defend themselves. They've got a God-given right to defend themselves, let alone a legal right. So at the end of the day, I think we've been shammed across the board. I think uh, McCarthy has to release that video now because that's the only answer to this and those people in uh, detention need it. And one of the biggest reasons we got to release it all, folks, is because experts can tell us whether the videos that we're even seeing, the limited amount we see that John points out, experts can tell us if they've been edited and tampered with or not. That's the biggest key to the exercise, ladies and gentlemen. Back in seconds, incredible show coming up. Hang tight. This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. The State Department has announced spokesman Ned Price is leaving his job as the mouthpiece for foreign policy. Price will take a job working directly with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken later this month. Deputy Vedant Patel will take over until a successor is named. Fatalities have been reported after two planes collide over Florida. Four people are dead after two small planes collided mid-air over central Florida. The collision was reported Tuesday afternoon over Lake Hartridge near Winter Haven. Laura Hurd was near the crash site when it happened. There's no words of something like that, a freak accident to happen. The Polk County Sheriff's Office said during a news conference that one plane was found 21 feet below the surface of the lake and the other was just partly submerged. The cause of the collision is unknown so far. Recovery efforts and the investigation continue this morning. I'm Skip Kelly. American women are making a comeback to the workforce that is helping propel the economy in the face of high inflation and rising interest rates. Women have gained more jobs than men for four straight months now, including in January's hiring push, allowing them to hold more than 49.8% of non-farm jobs. Female workers last edged higher than men on U.S. payrolls. That happened in late 2019 before the pandemic. A House subcommittee will probe the COVID-19 pandemic and is holding its first hearing today amid renewed scrutiny of the pandemic's origins. Today's hearing will feature testimony from Robert Redfield, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention under former President Trump, Jamie Metzl, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and Nicholas Wade, a former editor for Science Magazine. Four games in the XFL Football League this weekend. There will be two on Saturday and two on Sunday. Games will air on FX and ESPN2. NASCAR racing is in Phoenix, Arizona this weekend. USA News. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait. I was short of breath just reading a book. I could have delayed telling my doctor, but I didn't wait. They told their doctors and found out they have atrial fibrillation, a condition which makes it about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you have one or more of these symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, this is no time to wait. Contact your doctor. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer.
The NTSB is launching a special investigation into the Norfolk Southern following a series of train incidents in Ohio. The NTSB says it plans to look at the rail company's safety practices and culture. In addition to last month's derailment in East Palestine and Saturday's derailment in Springfield, a Norfolk Southern train crashed into a dump truck in Cleveland Tuesday morning, killing the train conductor. The NTSB saying a wheel bearing appeared to overheat shortly before the East Palestine derailment. Despite Tucker Carlson, ladies and gentlemen, the Jan 6 Fed surrection is well underway. You don't believe me? Well, why are all these Jan 6 folks in prison? And why do they have all the uh, prosecutions in the court cases convicting these people before we even let Tucker show the footage, much less see the footage? While at the same time, the Southern Poverty Law Center thug, Thomas Webb Jurgens, uh, look, he was caught with the protesters in violent terrorist activity. Well, now he's already posted a $5,000 bond, and he's been released. Nobody else got a bond. Everybody else stuck. But, of course, this Southern Party Law Center thug gets 5000 bucks and he's out. Uh, they say they can't let anybody else go because the magnitude of the coordination of this across multiple states, uh, it's dangerous to let anybody else go. But Thomas gets special privilege. They release him for five measly thousand Dollars. They want you to believe that he was there as just a peaceful observer and all that kind of stuff. But without digging into, hey, he and one other person were the only two from the state of Georgia. That alone makes you believe he was involved in more of the coordination. But how do the J6 folks uh, just get behind bars forever? And now this guy literally gets out the next or a couple of days later uh, for 5000 bucks. They wanted to let him out for free. Then the judges, no, we got to charge 5000 bucks. Again, they stake out the extreme. Oh, my gosh, let him go free. That's one side. No, 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 we got to have a penalty, 5000 bucks, as if that, that's something of significance that even matters. I mean, it is just insane. Uh, Lance, there you go, buddy. I mean, honestly, $5,000 and, and, and the charge currently that we're aware of is domestic terrorism, which is, you know, a, at a minimum state and federal. So I just don't understand it. And that's the, the the rule of law is broken. You know, laws for thee and not for me. He's part of the inner circle. The deep state uses them to attack people like they do with you, Sam and others. You know, it's clear this is preferential treatment. It shouldn't be allowed. Uh, there are people that just walk through the Capitol that have been not provided bond after all this time uh, for J6. So, uh, you know, how do, how do we get to a fair legal system? To me, the DOJ and many of the alphabet agencies need to be wiped out. I don't know if it's fixable. Clearly, when you see signals like this, when they're giving this kind of treatment to somebody that shouldn't get that kind of treatment because they've got them on video destroying property and attacking what's going to be a law enforcement training facility, which is obviously a clear message that they don't believe in uh, law enforcement. So, and by the way, they've been attacking this facility literally like since 2021 or something like that. People have literally camped out there for over a year. This is just a fiasco from the get-go. Uh, let's leave this topic in one second, but I want to get John Thayer's comment on this real quick, and then we'll introduce our guest. John? Well, let me say this. You know, One of the biggest problems we have across the country is this kind of bail nonsense? Uh, firstly, we don't have lawyers like me. Do not have a anything you know any observation you want to make at any crime scene exception. 
uh, you know, lawyers are under the same laws as everybody else. And if we participate in any way, you know, in, in a series of crimes, we should be treated like everybody else. On the other hand, you know, this is one of the problems. And you see this with a $5,000 know, bond, uh, you know, when everyone else doesn't even get anything. I mean, either everybody should get the $5,000 bond or nobody should. Uh, the rules as they apply, and not just from, from county to county, but state to state, you know, are, are, are just miserable. Uh, Arizona is one of the worst offenders, by the way. You know, Arizona in the cities, especially the city courts for misdemeanors, uh, not so much felony court, not so much superior court. They're actually pretty good with this. But you can, commit, you can be accused of committing a felony in Maricopa County and be released on your own recognizance. You send a text message to somebody when there's a restraining order, and you can wind up with a literally a $100,000 bond uh, or $100,000 cash-only bond, meaning you can't get a, an actual bail bond. You actually have to put up the cash. And cities in, in Arizona use this to basically steal people's money do it le- and do it legally. There's, there's got to be kind of a uniform system and a uniform standard, certainly state to state, but even across the United States for how we treat crime. Otherwise, this just gets ridiculous, and it, and it just gets to be random like it was here. Incredible. No doubt about it, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. That's what deep state attorneys get compared to the rest of us. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Be, be ready because it won't taste very good. Uh, Lance, you want to introduce our next guest? Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's an exciting story today, Sam. Uh, you know, obviously, John Thaler joining us, but Jacqueline Feinbrieger, the lead investigator for this national money laundering operation. Uh, she and John have disclosed it. It's a huge story. Jacqueline, welcome to Liberty Roundtable. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Nance. Thank you so much um, for both of you for having me on the show. Jacqueline, let's talk about you personally. Give us a little thumbnail of who you are and how you got into all this. Uh, sure, Sam. I, um, I own an insurance agency, and um, as I said to the council, you know, the committee when I met with them, um, my background is I have, you know, it, I have education in um, marketing strategy. I have an MBA in marketing strategy um, and, and research, and then I have a honors degree in um, statistics, economics, financial accounting, and business strategy. So, you know, when I met Mr. Thaler, he was actually helping me with my setting up my agency. Um, and he asked me if I could just take a look at some um, documents because um, he was researching insurance fraud. And so we began looking into those documents, and there, there just was not something not right with that and you know so um i started working with him and doing some of his research and three and a half years later i am now his his primary investigator um so that's how you know that's how i got into this so john what got you on the insurance fraud that kind of started the whole ball of rolling here because at first uh, well, it didn't have anything to do with what we're discussing uh, eventually about the election integrity issues and, and the um, cartels. And it, when you dug in, you weren't expecting any of that, right? No, I'll actually tell you what started it for me, um, other than you know, the experiences that I've talked about in investigations. What started it for me was that when I was engaged, and everybody now knows you know, that Brittany Chavez and I were married, uh, we technically still are, which is a whole other ball of wax. Who, who are you married uh, but, to? I was married. I was married to Brittany Chavez. Wow! One All right, of, one that's of the, a piece that, that I didn't know. Go ahead, ma'am. Go <laughs> ahead, sir. 
what happened? What happened was we we met just following my completion of, a, of an investigation in 2014. Uh, we have an age difference. Uh, she was a trial paralegal. Never occurred to me that she had any connection to anything I had been investigating. It just didn't didn't compute. And what happened was is that after we were engaged, we decided to sell our two respective homes, which were very small, and buy one together. And when we went, when I went to sell my home, there was a lien on my property from a default judgment that originated in California. Well, it turned out that this 2012 default judgment on a case filed originally in 2011 was filed against me by Brittany. She had falsified the documents, falsified the judgment, falsified the application for the judgment. Her handwriting is all over the documents. I had no idea. And so when I went to sell my home, all of a sudden, of course, the title company tells me there's a lien on my property. And I, I don't know what they're talking about. So they send me the case information, and I start looking up, up everything. Now, I didn't know her well enough, certainly, and I, certainly I didn't know her well enough, and I didn't know about this kind of thing well enough to realize that this was a fraud. But I knew that the documents that had been that allegedly were in California were falsified documents. That part was clear. Everything from proofs of service with falsified signatures on it to a judgment that is that didn't comport to California standards to a certification that didn't work. And that in 2014, literally one a month before Brittany and I met, this this judgment in California for about three thousand dollars, by the way, not for very much, for about three thousand dollars was taken to Arizona and, and lodged in the court in Arizona as what we call a sister state or foreign state judgment, one that could now be collected in Arizona. And, of course, the notarizations on those documents filed with the court belonged to Brittany. Of course, this was all unbeknownst to me. So the first thing that ever happened to me that was suspicious was that it would take me t almost two and a half years, uh, I guess, yeah, two and, a half, two and a half years or so, before it started to occur to me that maybe Brittany had actually been in charge of, of creating this judgment. You know, this is right, now so three me, years Let me stop you met. there for a second because i got to understand this. How did you meet her then? You're thinking it's a normal meeting, a normal woman, you marry her, it's great. Uh, but this was really more of a clandestine meeting somehow on her part then. This wasn't just an uh, unrelated happenstance, right? Co correct. It was not an unrelated happenstance at all. She at least knew who I was, at least going back three years, and potentially, depending on some other documents that we're looking at, maybe a whole lot longer than that. So, yeah, I, I, how did we meet? We met because she was a trial paralegal at a firm called Andante Law Group. She had, she had acted in, I think, as a trial paralegal in something like 22 or 23 cases. Um, ahead, she was certainly a known list. quantity. Uh, you know, she was a known quantity in the, in the, in the industry. She you know, owned her own house. She taught paralegal studies which we'll get to in a moment because one of the things she taught was bankruptcy, not without me realizing she was also committing bankruptcy fraud at the same time. Uh, and, you know, I, I never thought much of it. So let me ask you this then. You, you meet her because she's in the realm business-wise with you. You date, you get married, you think it's all legitimate. On her part, there was no legitimacy about it, was there? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say this. I okay. certainly, the initial meeting was never intended for us to continue dating. Um, I think that for whatever the reason, because she had known me for as long as she had, she decided that she was going to see where the relationship went. And I think ultimately she decided she was gonna be, she was gonna hide behind it. 
you know, this was somebody, look, in all fairness to, to her, which, which I know a lot of people hate, but in fairness to her, she was not looking to commit crimes behind my back. She was looking to stop committing crimes behind my back. You know, this is somebody who was born into a family that was, you know, performing all sorts of criminal acts, had been in criminal enterprises for an awfully long time. She was born into this. And unfortunately, you know, when you're born into that, and anybody who, who does investigations at all uh, of anybody in organized crime will tell you, the worst part is that the children get into it, even if they don't want to, even if they try right. a different so life. Let me, let me make sure I understand this. move up and become it. So she was hoping that you might be able to help her out of this? Yeah, she was hoping that she could, in essence, hide behind me, kind of the exact opposite, that she could hide behind me and that by doing so, she would be out of the business. She wanted a family. She wanted, you know, children. She wanted the normal trappings of, of being, you know, a wife and mother. Uh, and I think she saw in me a way she could do that. So it certainly wasn't, you know, your typical, you know, Chuck Woolery love connection. But I think that her motives along the way you know, we're not we're not so much to commit crime. It was to not commit crime. And it was basically, hey, I can find a love. I can have a family and I can somehow maybe get out of this in a way that then what happened? How did that that change? Or how, well, how that's that all... a great question. That's a that's a great question. It started to change after she got pregnant. Uh, and I can't tell you why. Uh, all I can tell you is that, you know, things started happening. Checks started to be stolen. Uh, you know, checks started to be stolen and used to, to pay other people's bills, uh, other properties' bills. For example, I had a check stolen from, from one of my personal accounts, one of my separate property accounts, that was used to pay a water bill at a house in South, in South Phoenix. Um, who does that? I mean, if you're stealing my check, you're writing it for a big screen TV or something. But this was to pay off a water bill that was over a year overdue. Uh, we know because we subpoenaed the records from, from, you know, from the city of Phoenix and, and saw the bill, saw what was going on. Um, there were computer erasures. There was documents being erased from my computer. There were files being moved. I woke up one morning, just one morning, went to my computer system and found 110,000 files had been moved to the recycle bin overnight. Um, so there were weird things going on like this. And there were some things in her behavior that weren't quite normal. Um, then when McKinley was born, which was in December of 2017. Now, hold on. McKinley then, that, hold on. McKinley is your child together, right? Correct. McKinley is our child together. Okay. Uh, he was born on December 12, 2017. And shortly after that, a number of things started to go wrong. Things in her behavior, things in her demeanor. But the thing that happened that was then kind of the catalyst for all of this was that we were going to put together a trust for our child. You know, just the kind of thing that happens in case, you know, we're in a, an accident together or something like that. When I went to do that, you know, the Maricopa County system, you know, for recorder records for all, you know, deeds and documents like that is all computerized. So you can just sit at your computer, you know, put in somebody's name or put in your own name and call up your documents. And, of course, these are technically unofficial copies, but these are the ones that got scanned into the system. So I pull up the documents for us so I can put our house that we now have, our house into the trust. And I, but I ran, I just did it real quick. So I put in her name instead of my name to get the house pulled up. I just, just typed in her name real quick into the box. And what I got was not just our deed for our house or the deed documents for her previous house, you know, like I had had a previous house. Instead, what I got was a stream of deeds in her name going back about 10 years, not only with her, not only her name and her signature, clearly her, her handwriting on the deeds, but also 
her being married. To you or to somebody else? No. No, somebody else. I, we had deeds going back to 2010, 11, 12, before I ever met her, that I had understand. her name and another person's name as husband and wife on these deeds. Right. Now, let me, let me state this and, and tell me if I'm completely off base or uh, this really matters. So she was married to somebody else. She knew that this would eventually come to your attention. She knew that eventually you would know this. But she's hoping that, hey, if she has your baby, then you might be willing for the love, for the baby, for your family, for to say, okay, listen, we can back out of this. We can extract ourselves from this. And she was hanging on to you for the hope for that to happen, right? I would say that's exactly true. In fact, one of the strangest things that happened, it's not very strange, I, I think, in general, but strangest for us is that about five minutes after we were married, uh, she immediately wanted to get pregnant and, and actually you know, accused me of lying about having children. Just so you know, I've been previously married. Uh, unlike so, a couple of interestingly weird reports, I was married for 17 years. Uh, I have a 22-year-old son who's about to graduate from a major university and go off to law school. Um, so I had raised a child before. I had been in child rearing. I was I was my first son's primary caregiver uh, for most of his most of his uh, you know his you know child life. Um, you know we've had a, we've enjoyed a wonderful relationship. Um, so I think she saw that in me and thought that if she formed this family, we could somehow stay together no matter what. All right. So this uh, intention on her part. Um, is it because she was scared and wanted out or she wanted a different life? Uh, what stopped her? Do you think the drug cartels and, and, and uh, stopped her? Do you think she's just afraid that she'll die if she continues? What, what now created this separation of this, wait a minute, this isn't going to go forward like her hopes? Well, I th what happened, the first thing that happens is, you know, I see these documents. And the first thing I'm thinking is not drug cartel or organized crime. What I'm thinking is that, wait a minute, I, I think my wife may have lied to me about something rather significant. Um, but I didn't stop there, and I guess this is part of the investigator in me. I didn't stop there. So I started looking at more deeds involving family members of hers that I did know, you know, ones I had met, you know, certainly her mother, uh, her father, uh, who she's estranged from, and, and other members of the family. And what I found was more and more and more and more deeds that were clearly falsified. They had falsified notarizations on it. I could identify which family member acted as the notary person to sign it, you know, who wasn't really a notary. I could see that these all involved real property. I could see that there were things like, you know, home equity lines of credit and other things that didn't match the values of the home so that the, the lines of credit were significantly higher than the home values. I mean, things that very clearly told me pretty quickly that this was at least, if nothing else, a tax evasion scheme. And that's frankly, at that point, what I thought was going on. I thought that, okay, maybe she wasn't previously married, but instead, you know, she and family members were avoiding taxes. That's what this was all about. And so they were, they were falsely buying and selling properties to take advantage of tax loopholes. They were falsifying deeds, et cetera. The problem was it got to the point, by the time we got into 2019, it got to the point where there were so many of these falsified deeds that it simply couldn't be just a within-family scheme. It was, it was not possible. There were so many false, false individuals, fan, what we call phantom individuals, people who didn't exist, uh, you know, who were on these deeds with their handwritings on them, that it just simply couldn't be that small of a series of crimes. And that was the problem. And then there were other things that went with this. 
you know, that's how we got to the insurance fraud. What brought us to the insurance fraud was that in running the names, the, phone, the falsified names of individuals on the deeds, we wound up finding a number of, of what are called AHCCCS liens, and that's Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System liens. Um, I'll explain this real quick for people so that they understand. You know, most people, when they get into a car accident, they go to a doctor uh, or a chiropractor, and the chiropractor or doctor has them sign a lien document that says, your lawyer will pay us when you get your settlement. It's a very common thing to do. In Arizona, unlike other states, these documents, these liens that you sign with your doctor or your care provider, wind up getting recorded. The idea being is that if they're recorded, you won't skip out on the bill. So when your lawyer sends you the check for all the money you're supposed to get, you'll make sure to pay because otherwise there's a lien. And if you buy property or you do anything else, you know, that lien is going to come up. So it keeps you from, from skipping out on your doctor. That's what it's for. Well, what we then were finding was not only were the names of the falsified phantom individuals on these lien documents, but these lien documents led to other lien documents, which led to other lien documents, all falsified, to the point at this point in eight separate counties in the state of Arizona, we have nearly 25,000 of these falsified lien documents. So what's your status with Brittany now? Are you guys still married or divorced? Well, that's a good question, because one of the things that happened was uh, to try to keep us apart, a falsified petition for dissolution of marriage was filed in Maricopa County, leading to a falsified divorce decree. And it's falsified in the sense that the, the petitions in Arizona require the person who's you know, doing the petition, you know, the, the spouse who's doing the petition, to sign it. The signature on the petition is falsified. It's not Brittany's signature. The, the signature on the decree that was issued about a year later is not the judge's signature. That's the problem. So on paper, there's a decree, but the problem is it's a false decree. Do you still love her, and do you want to work something out with her or no? <laughs> no. Um, you know, this is kind of one of the fascinating things about this. You know, I, I certainly care about the mother of my child. And, you know, for all those people who say this is about, and I'll get to the custody battle thing here in a minute, but for people who say this is about a custody battle or it's about a messy divorce and stuff like that, no, it has nothing to do with this. In November, in November of 2019, after, you know, just a year of utter chaos over all this, including two attempts made on my life, as more and more of the racketeering schemes were becoming apparent, that included life insurance fraud, not just auto insurance fraud, it became payroll theft. It became bankruptcy fraud. When all these things started coming to light, you know, my life became in danger. And you know, it, it finally got to the point where in November of 2019, Brittany came to me and she asked myself and one of my colleagues, somebody who's been involved in the investigation you know, since 2019 with me, not, not just Ms. Breger, but someone else who's been involved, she asked us if we could put her into federal witness protection. Because at that point, this all was collapsing around her. Obviously, I was discovering the, the magnitude of what she had been involved in. I think, in a sense, she was finally kind of realizing the magnitude of what she was involved in. And she wanted out. I mean, out, out. And in this case, WITSEC, Federal Witness Protection. Did she get it? No, because before we could make application for it. So let me explain something about Federal Witness Protection that people don't understand. You don't get federal witness protection just because somebody's after you or the mob is after you or organized crime is after you. It doesn't work that way. You, you, you essentially have to be a witness to something or be a participant in something 
and you have to be able to provide useful information. In other words, you have to help with the takedown. You got to help with the takedown. And worse than that for some people is you have to come clean with the U.S. Attorney's Office about all of the crimes you've ever been involved in and who's been involved with the, in them with you. So rather than just getting safety from something, you basically, and of course in Brittany's case, she would have had to tell on her entire family. And ultimately, that was the part that became so difficult for her. It's one thing to say, hey, people are threatening me. I need protection. But if you have to go to the U.S. attorney and give evidence on every one of your family members, that's a burden that she just wasn't prepared at the time to bear. And is it because she cares about her family so much or is it because she's afraid it's a death sentence? Is she a victim, a perpetrator or both? Uh, Well, she's both. Um, and, and, and I don't mean to make light of it or make excuses for it because, you know, I, I think that what, what I have said and I think what Ms. Brigger would say as well is that, look, you know, my child got abducted in this in violation of court orders, you know, real court orders involving custody. My child got abducted. I have not seen McKinley now for almost 29 months uh, because of this mess. And I've been threatened. If you want to see your child again, you will stop the investigation. You know, that's been a mantra uh, since 2020, uh, you know, he was supposed to be, we were supposed to make a custody exchange in 2020. She didn't make it. And, and after that, it was threat after threat after threat that if the investigation continued, I would never see my child again. Um, hey, hey, John, Brittany do you is, believe those threats yes. were from the Sinaloa cartel or do you think those were from uh, government officials, you know, uh, law enforcement that's also involved in this, uh, this money laundering corruption? Who do you think actually stemmed those or actually initiated those threats? Both, both, because at the time that we, the time that those threats were made, by the time McKinley was abducted, what happened was is that we were gaining more and more information on the city of Mesa, which at that point was where not only did Donna Chavez, her mother, live, but that's where Brittany Chavez now lived. After after our house was sold, that's where she went to live. So she was being protected, in, which is what she is today in the city of Mesa by city officials who have been participants in the racketeering. Uh, and so I think she was getting it from all sides. She was certainly getting it from family members, for sure, who were telling her, you, you can't do this to us. And then she was getting it, for sure, from City of Mesa officials. And she was probably getting it, you know, at least to some degree, either directly or indirectly from cartel people, uh, probably from all of the above. Ladies and gentlemen, hour one in the can. I'm sorry I monopolized this interview. We're going to bring everybody into the mix next hour in much more detail. you got to understand, we're talking about the biggest criminal conspiracy in the history of America. We're talking about every aspect of life. We're talking about drug and trafficking cartels and a whole lot more. Folks, this is serious, serious business, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to dig in next hour with a lot more details. The plot thickens as we go. Be ready. Hour one in the can, hour two coming up. This is Liberty Roundtable Live. God save us all. the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. We got a two-hour blockbuster broadcast happening right now, ladies and gentlemen. This is the broadcast for March 8th. 
our goal to promote God, family, and country and protect life, liberty, and property. Lance Miliacho with me. George Valentin with me. They're co-hosts of the BigMig.com radio and TV program. We're talking about the tip of the spear, folks. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. We've got John Thaler with us, Esquire, if you will. He's with Harris Thaler Law Corp. He's an attorney. He's an investigative expert, to say the least. We've also got Jacqueline Fine uh, Brigger with us, and she is a chief investigator with him. The quick summary, ladies and gentlemen, is they're the ones that broke the story in Arizona where they testified before the committees about the Sinaloa drug cartels, trafficking cartels, literally in bed with government officials everywhere, uh, including virtually controlling Mesa, Arizona. They started out investigating insurance fraud. Eventually, John marries Brittany Chavez, finds out things are not what he thought they were, and the plot continues to thicken from there. They're still married because even though there's a divorce decree on file, it's fraudulently signed. John had a child with Brittany that now uh, the child's in hiding. John hasn't seen his son in 28-plus months, folks. The plot thickens. Brittany wanted to get out of the drug cartel uh, fraudulent document business. She had hoped, but she wasn't willing to come clean on her family. Thus, she never got the protection she was seeking. John, as the plot thickened, wanted to give her a chance at first. Uh, but then, of course, things went south as she wouldn't stand to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, John, as we come back to this discussion then, uh, can you see Brittany or do you see Brittany or is there any uh, interaction between you two now? Uh, no. Well, th- let's put it this way. I, if there were any interaction, I wouldn't talk about it and I wouldn't talk about it you know, publicly. I would say this. The biggest problem that Brittany faced is that once she came to me and asked for witness protection, she, that wasn't her first attempt at it. And so there were other attempts that she was making to talk to lawyers and to see what her options were. And the problem was is that family members at this point were literally GPSing her car. They were following her around. They were looking to see if she was trying to get out. And so the problem was is that from roughly about December of 2019 to the present, we have not been able to be together because of threats made that if we were together, something would happen to me, to her, to McKinley. And, and let, me, let me go back a step because I want to make something a little bit clear about this. You know, by the time I got into early 2019 and could see that there were other forms of fraud here, it wasn't just a bunch of deeds, but there was also the insurance fraud, the bankruptcy fraud, the payroll theft, et cetera. I had clients who it appeared, you know, clients from long, you know, long time clients who appeared to be victims in some of the payroll theft fraud. So those clients were the ones who originally retained our services to look at the fraud. So we were looking at both insurance fraud, which was insurance from within, from being an employee, where people were paying for you know, large amounts of life insurance and then collecting on policies through fake deaths, things like that. So the story got, went off in a number of different directions. Um, with respect to, to Brittany and me, one of the things that happened was that she was threatened that she couldn't see me because there were fears that she was passing information on to me. And in fact, she wasn't just passing information on to me. She was passing it on to myself, and she was passing it on to Ms. Brager as well. 
Um, so there were there were a number of ways that Britney did this. I won't get into the details. One of the reasons, you know, people have kind of said, oh, he's just here to, to sell a book. You know, he's just here to complain about his custody problems. No. When we do a long-term investigation, which sometimes happens, sometimes we crack a case in a, in a day, sometimes in a month, sometimes it's years, depending on what's, what's involved. In this particular case, what we do at the end, when we're kind of reaching the end, is we do what we really call a compendium, not even a book. And the idea is just to provide a narrative of what the investigation was from when it began, how it began, to where it got, how it got there, attaching documents to every part. So instead of the kind of presentation that you know everybody saw with Ms. Brager in front of you know a, a, a Senate and House committee in Arizona, what you'll get in terms of the book, which again was not really intended for public sale, it was really intended for us, for clients, for judges, for investigators who were investigating this so that they could come up to speed very quickly, is you get about 300 pages of narrative tied directly to about 3,000 pages of documents. So you can see in real time exactly what was going on, exactly what we found, when we found it, who found it, who evaluated it. This has been one of the other things. I've had people you know, write me and say, you don't even have a law office. Okay, well, that's kind of odd for my clients who I handle every day. Um, then they say, well, you don't have any other investigators. You don't have any workers. I can tell you that at least 12 different people have been directly involved in this case, have reviewed documents either with a specific expertise or with specific backgrounds involved, 12 different people. Um, we don't ever come out with anything. We don't ever say anything. We don't ever come out publicly, and we don't even make presentations to our clients if we have not vetted all the information that we deal with. And when you're dealing with you know, what's now, uh, we've said 120,000, but I think we're up to about 150,000 pages of documents that we reviewed. We are very careful that a number of different people review this with us, including lawyers, including other lawyers, including financial experts, including you know, question documents experts, before we release anything. Um, we don't do this blindly, and we don't say this stuff just to say this stuff. In terms of custody, because I just want to say one more thing about custody, and I'll leave it open to all of your questions. Uh, I had custody of McKinley. That was not a problem. This was not a custody battle. People don't understand that abduction happens all the time. It's extremely common, and it is horrible and damaging to any child who has to go through it. My concern is for whatever's in McKinley's best interest, and that is to have both parents in his life, just like when my first wife and I divorced, our son was in both of our lives 50-50. You know, I was mostly his primary caregiver because she was a corporate executive who worked and traveled a lot. That's how you do things. You parent a child together. What's happened here is, is not only has McKinley been kept from me, he's been kept from his half-brother. He's been kept from his aunt, my sister. He's been kept from Ms. Brager, who, who he, McKinley developed a relationship with. He's been kept from Ms. Brager's uh, daughters, who babysat him constantly. He's been kept from everyone except for the Chavez family. Nobody's allowed to see him. Nobody's allowed to talk to him. And on one occasion, when it was his birthday, and a couple of people attempted to bring gifts to him for his birthday, they were threatened with the police, and then the police were actually called. Um, that's how bad this situation is, and it's unfortunate. But it doesn't change the fact, unfortunately, that this is all revolving around a series of organized you know, racketeering activities. Lance? Listen, uh, Sam, as you know, the Big MIG Show team got you know, way ahead on this story, and I have to say this just because I really truly believe uh, Ms. Brieger and Mr. Thaler. I, I support them 100%. I am convinced 
100% of the product they're providing. They've been attacked nonstop. My threads have been attacked. If you go over to the, our Twitter account, The Big Mig Show, you'll find all sorts of information if there's any confusion. We've been posting lots and lots of specific evidence related to this case. You know, but I, I want to say this. There's a statement that was made by Ms. Brieger, and I also believe in different versions by Mr. Thaler, that I want to read. It came in from one of our followers, Kim Wexler. And this really kind of sums it up in one sentence. The business of the Sinaloa cartel is drug trafficking and human trafficking. It's a multi-billion dollar business. Wanting to keep the doors open, so to speak, is vital. They want those borders open, with Arizona being a border state. They made sure that they have significant control over individuals in Arizona who will allow them to do that. Now, I want to I direct this question to Ms. Brieger because Kim Wexler actually uh, asked me to, to present this morning, and I've seen this as a recurring theme, which I think it's really great that we're getting these kind of direct questions. So uh, she wants to know if you can discuss, number one, evidence of fake state employees on the rolls, especially voter counts. Who was supposed to be counting ballots and can they be found? Also, Runbeck, any evidence concerning the 2022 election? So, uh, Ms. Brieger, you, you have done so much research, and I want to give you a chance. We have obviously haven't given you a chance to talk. You're, you're just a, 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 a cornucopia of unlimited amounts of investigative material. So go ahead, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Um, well, you know, I, I don't think that that's a surprise, you know, that the – Sinaloa cartel, you know, business is is drug and human trafficking. I mean, everybody knows that, and everybody knows it's a billion dollar business. So, you know, um, I you know I, I think that that's been that's been stated by you know Carrie Lake. It was stated, I think, on one of uh, Pete Santelli's shows by Victor Avia. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a very um, you know well known situation that those borders could not be closed. I mean, that's why Carrie Lake could not be governor, because her whole, she ran on that exact issue. The first thing she was going to do was go and shut down the border, um, which could not happen. So, you know, if you are running a billion-dollar business and someone is threatening to shut down your, your, your distribution channel to your market, um, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that that does not happen. And, you know, that, as I say, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything that the public don't already know. And, you know, so uh, uh, Carrie Lake actually said in, in an interview yesterday that, you know, exactly what I'm saying, that, you know, the, there was no way they were going to allow her to be governor. Um, and with that kind of um, finance, you know, those kinds of financial resources at your disposal, you will utilize those um, to make sure that, that you have, you know, you have the say and you have the power to do whatever you need to do to keep your business going. So, you know, um, you know, and, and in light of that, obviously, um, when you're looking at things like runback, when you're looking at things like the people who are there, you know, managing the, you know, the, the, the supervisors and people that are managing the ballot counts and so on and so forth, you know, the people on the ground, so to speak, that are actually in the process of, you know, telling the votes or, you know, um, dealing with the, 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 the machines, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, then you want to look, you know, those people have to be looked at first. And as Mr. Thaler and I have said numerous times, our findings are based on research and document analysis and um, looking at, you know, phone records, looking at whatever data we can accumulate. But we do not have the authority to go in and, you know, we don't have subpoena authority. 
We don't have um, the authority to get search warrants. We don't have the authority to interrogate individuals. So I can tell you from our research, you know, that Runbeck looks suspicious. I can tell you from our research that that Teddy Hobbs looks suspicious, but I cannot tell you, you know, that 100% that that's, you know, that they are guilty. What I can say is there's enough suspicion and there's enough issues with their documents to warrant a full-scale investigation. Yeah, we are beyond probable causes, the point. Let me ask you this, Ms. Brigger, to kind of uh, hammer this home. At some point, if the state of Arizona, and specifically the city of Mesa, is so in bed with the Sinaloa drug trafficking cartels, and they've got so much uh, provable evidence against them, I guess the question really needs to be asked, who the heck can get above this to call account and to create prosecutions and real, uh, in other words, it's one thing to investigate and prove it. It's another thing to prosecute. Um, do we have any prayer prosecution here? Well, let, let, me, let me try to answer that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, let, well, let me, let me try to answer that a little bit because because uh, I handled, because you know, I, I have the legal background, et cetera. Um, one of the things to note is that Arizona, the state of Arizona, actually conducted an audit of itself back in 2009, 2010. And it hired an outside accounting firm to do the audit. And they were looking specifically to see if, in those days, if organized crime monies, it was not directed at cartel at that point, but if organized crime monies had penetrated state agencies and were being laundered through state agencies. And the answer turned out to be, I had nothing to do with this investigation. This was a separate investigation. The answer turned out to be yes. That's exactly what happened. And there were a couple of indictments. There were a couple of people charged. There were a couple of people who actually were convicted and sentenced. One of the things in doing the investigation that we've done is we've talked to these forensic accountants about their investigation. And one of the first things they said to us, and this is probably about two years ago now, is they said, if you are looking to find help in the state of Arizona, you are wasting your time because the levels of corruption that are in this state are so severe that you don't know who you can trust, you don't know who you can't trust, and nothing will ever happen. If you want something done, you're going to have to go to outside agencies, basically federal agencies, or nothing's going to happen at all. That was the admonition to us two years ago. But, John, the federal agencies are just as corrupt and just as in bed with the cartels. Well, and certainly what we've seen in the last couple of years does not give a lot of people a lot of hope for anything here. Uh, It certainly doesn't. Now, having said that, so that the audience doesn't go away today, you know, feeling totally hopeless, it's not as hopeless as that. There are a lot of federal agencies. People don't realize. We talked about the FBI, obviously. That's been in the news a lot. We talked about the Justice Department. That's been in the news a lot. There's been a lot of criticism laid at both, and a lot of it is extraordinarily fair, uh, maybe, even, maybe even not enough criticism. However, they're not the only agencies. There are a lot of different agencies of the federal government who we work with. Most people wouldn't know this, but there's actually something called the Office of the United States Bankruptcy Trustee, which is an investigative body that specifically investigates bankruptcy fraud. And their, fi- their dog in the fight is not political at all. It's did this person actually file these papers? You know, did, did these people actually pay this money? Did this actually happen? Did that actually happen? There's the Internal Revenue Service, which investigates the tax crimes. They don't care what your politics are. They care whether or not there was money that can be collected. Um, there are a whole sort of – there's a Federal Trade Commission. There's the SEC. So as much as there are problems with agencies, and you and I would totally agree on, on that point, 
there are a lot of different agencies that have jurisdiction over the kinds of things that we have found here, whether it be insurance or whether it be payroll theft. But I'll give you one more thing to be positive about. The clients that we have are, are in this case, are businesses. They are not political machines. They don't support particular political candidates. They are not political action committees. They are businesses. They are large-scale businesses who have been ripped off by these schemes, whether it's been Metropolitan Life who got ripped off in the, some of the, the life insurance fraud or whether it be Dignity Health, who we've mentioned before, who have been ripped off by having falsified employees taking pay, payroll, taking payroll checks from them. You have enough large-scale employers here who have been damaged specifically by this that ultimately what they're likely to do is say to the state of Arizona, if you don't clean this up, we're out of here. And the, the worst thing that could happen to the state of Arizona is not so much what's happened now. It's that you start seeing businesses doing like what Elon Musk did in California, where you pick up your ball and you go somewhere else. Because if you cannot trust the system, you're not going to stay there. When you're getting ripped off by phony employees on your payroll and phony paycheck, real paychecks being paid to phony employees, you're not staying in that state if that state's not protecting you. And ultimately what's going to happen is the state of Arizona is going to find that businesses more than anyone else, private sector more than anyone else, is going to deal with this in a way that goes kind of beyond what we could do and, and in a way that goes beyond what law enforcement could do. And they're going to demand investigations. They're going to demand that action take place. They're going to demand that the AG's office do something. And it's going to be very hard for you know, some of the, especially the state agencies in Arizona, to sit back and do what they've traditionally done, absolutely nothing. Because these businesses will pick up and leave if this continues. I pray you're right about that, John. George. Thank you, Sam. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of things. But in defense of uh, Mr. Thaler and Mrs. Uh, Brieger, they doing work for insurance companies. And auto insurance, life insurance, payroll theft, and money laundering. They're not going to ruin their reputations and their credibility and make false claims when doing work for these type of big corporations. So this is why I stand with them 100%. I, you know, me and Lance and Big Mig, we believe them. So quick question. If in Carrie Lake's trial, you had Maricopa Elections Director Scott Jarrett and, and a county technical witness, Ryan, I think is Macias, testified that the ballot sizing mistake was not intentional. So I know in your report, you're talking about the Maricopa database had no integrity, that you like ballot counts were been tampered with. And then specifically in 2020 election, 2022 election, the ballot scanners printers at 70% of precinct suffered changes to the printer settings despite being tested. You said these uh, changes were made through computer infiltration, not manually. Now, we also know it happened in 2020 because um, they stated that in Carrie Lake's trial. How do we know? How, how you all right? How do we know or tell these listeners 100% that it was done by computer infiltration? Is that proven? Can that be proven? Yeah, let me let me explain. Yeah, let me explain a little. Yeah, let me yeah. explain a little of that. Okay, there's two parts to that. Part one of that is is that there are other investigations going on. We're not the only one in town. We're just the ones that came forward and were asked to come. We, you know, we didn't volunteer for this mission. You know, we were asked to come and present the findings that we had to date. You know, to the legislature, and we did. We're not the only investigation in town, and if any of these folks think that somehow swatting at us is going to make any difference, you know, you're wasting your time. We're not, the only, we're not the only ones in this. 
So we know from other investigations, because people, we, we folks do talk to each other. We don't tell each other everything, but we do talk to each other. We know what other investigations are looking at and what specifically they're looking at. I won't comment on any further, but we're not it. But I will tell you this. Look, the way in which the system works, so for those people who are not in Arizona, who are not in Maricopa County, let me explain what we're talking about here. When you, when you go and you vote in Maricopa County, you go to the precinct, the assigned precinct, and you go and vote. Uh, you fill out a ballot. You basically you know, fill in the dots. Though that, that ballot, once you're finished with that, goes into a scanner. It looks like, you know, it's like a printer scanner that you would see anywhere. Uh, in fact, Maricopa County is very big on using printer scanners everywhere, including, by the way, at the regular recorder's office. You bring in a deed, they scan the deed. That's how this works in Maricopa County. So when you're done with your ballot, you put it through the scanner. The scanner reads it, and you get a receipt back saying you voted. You, know, you, you voted that day. That's how it works. Now, if your ballot, for some reason, when it goes in the scanner, can't be counted, for whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. There's a torn corner on it. Something doesn't work. It can't read it properly. So whatever goes wrong, it doesn't matter what it is. That ballot goes into a separate box, and it's placed there for counting later. That box is called box three. So every precinct has a box three of ballots that couldn't be scanned for whatever the reason. In any election, there's always going to be a certain small percentage of ballots that just don't scan for whatever the reason, the way somebody colored outside the lines can do it. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be some small percentage. What happened in this particular case was that despite the, the statements, because nobody's seen documents on this, despite the statements that the night before all of these printer scanners were tested to make sure that they worked, make sure they had ink in them, make sure that they functioned properly, had all the proper settings, even though these were allegedly tested the night before, out of 70 out of, I believe it's 235 precincts or 237 precincts in Maricopa County, 70 of the precincts had total scanner failure. So it means it's not, it's, it's, think, think of it this way. If you went out tomorrow and you bought 235 Corvettes and the next morning you put them in a lot, next morning you come out and you started all of them, what are the odds that 70 of them don't start? If the night before you drove them and you drove them to the lot that you, that you have and you put them all in there, what are the chances of 70 not starting the next day? Well, that's essentially what happened here. So there is no way for that to have occurred, for the same exact problem to occur in every single printer in each one of these 70 precincts in the absence of fraud. It is literally a statistical impossibility. Now, what I have said about this is, it doesn't matter whether you think the Chinese did it, whether you think the Russians did it, or whether you think some 15-year-old who got a computer for his birthday did it. The fact is, it was fraud, period. And to this day, neither the Attorney General's office nor anyone else, for that matter, can get an answer on who did it and how it happened. So you have to start with the fact that this was already fraud no matter what. The question is, is who did it? And, of course, the only folks who are not looking at who did it are, of course, the people who, A, got the benefit of it and wound up, B, in office. That's the problem we have. Now, we then look at, you know, and, of course, we're late to the game on this. We started looking at election stuff basically in November of 2022, you know, after these things happened. But we knew darn well because we do statistical analysis that there's no way this happened in the absence of fraud. So the first thing that happens is a letter goes from the Attorney General's office in Arizona to Maricopa County saying, explain this. You think Maricopa County sent a letter back explaining anything? Not a chance. 
to this day, no explanation for this whatsoever. So that's where your starting point is. I mean, I mean starting point. Now, since that occurred, you can't get data. You can't find out who signed for the, who did the testing the day before. You can't find out who signed off on the testing the day before. You can't look at the printer settings, printer scanner settings. You can't find out what line they were on. In other words, what T1 line All they right, were John on. All right, John Thaler, he, hold on. I got a hard break we got to take. We'll come right back. Liberty Roundtable Live. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. If you don't know scientist George Vernon Hudson, you know his work from the late 1800s. It's daylight savings time, and yeah, we're there once again. Arizona and Hawaii don't play, and you wouldn't have to either, but a year ago, after Republican Senator Marco Rubio and others passed the Sunshine Protection Act in the Senate, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi refused to bring it up for a vote in the House. Rubio has reintroduced the bill this year, so there is still hope that this partisan project will move forward. Nonetheless, clocks will move forward one hour very early Sunday morning. Mexican officials have arrested a suspect in connection with the kidnappings of four U.S. citizens, two of which were murdered. 24-year-old Jose Guadalupe was guarding the house where cartel members held captive and tortured the four Americans. The White House yesterday. Attacks on U.S. citizens are unacceptable. No matter where or under what circumstances they happen, we will continue to work closely with the Mexican government to ensure justice is done in this case. The victims were discovered in a wooden shack in Ujido, Tecolote, a suburb east of the Mexican city of Matamoros. Authorities have not revealed if Guadalupe is part of the Gulf Cartel, the gang accused of the kidnappings and murders. The Federal Trade Commission has insisted Twitter turn over all internal communications related to owner Elon Musk, as well as detailed information about layoffs. The FTC says they're concerned that staff reductions could compromise the company's ability to protect users. In 12 letters sent to Twitter and its lawyers since Musk's takeover, the FTC also demanded the company identify all journalists granted access to the company records. It's launch day at Cape Canaveral, Florida. The first fully reusable, entirely 3D-printed rocket, Tehran-1, will make history. USA News. Non-attorney spokesperson, ad sponsored by Open Jar Concepts. Attention veterans and active duty military. If you were issued earplugs between 2002 and 2016 and were diagnosed with hearing loss or ringing in the ears, you may be entitled to compensation. The manufacturer of these military earplugs recently paid $9.1 million to resolve claims that their earplugs were defective, potentially exposing service members to damaging sound levels that could have resulted in hearing loss or tinnitus. If you or a loved one were issued earplugs and were diagnosed with tinnitus or hearing loss, don't wait. You fought for this country, and our attorneys want to fight for you. Call 800-958-2145 now for a free legal consultation and to see if you may be eligible to file a claim. Time restrictions may apply, and you pay nothing unless there's a recovery in your favor. So call 800-958-2145 now. Again, 800-958-2145. That's 800-958-2145. 
Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. This assorted tale is hard to navigate, complicated to understand, to say the least. John Thaler with us. He's an attorney. He's an investigator. And he's telling the story about this election fraud scenario. Uh, look, the chances of this being a mistake is bogus. It's flat-out fraud. They know it. The only question left is who done it, John. Yeah, and that's the whole point. The point of it is, is that there is no way this was done in the absence of fraud. The question is, is who did it? And you, as you can see, you see anybody in the legislature clamoring to find out? Not a person. Uh, the AG's office originally did try this. The Attorney General's office did try this with the person who was in charge of elections. She tried. She sent a very well put together letter to Maricopa County specifically asking exactly what happened about a very specific set of stuff. She wanted very specific data and got no response. I mean, that's been the problem is that anybody who tries to investigate any of this is basically you know, squeezed out of their job uh, or squeezed out of the legislature. Uh, you know, basically never to be heard from again, at least not, not in the areas of election fraud. So the problem has been is that anybody who comes before a committee, you know, is going to have, you know, what happened, you know, to, to Ms. Breger and myself happen to them. And that keeps everybody from coming forward. So the people who do know won't come forward. The people who don't know can't investigate. And that's been the story, that's been the story of Maricopa County, and it's been the story of Arizona. And frankly, it's kind of disgusting at this point. Um, but let me explain why for a second, because I think it's something else for your audience to understand, especially for the people who do not live in Arizona. Arizona is now a state that is dependent economically on the cartels. They are dependent economically on the cartels. What I mean by that is, is that the cash flow that goes to the state of Arizona is what pays for the state of Arizona. Even though, obviously, there's illegal monies that are put in cash houses and stash houses and you know, bought through properties. Properties are being bought. Commissions get paid to real estate agents. People go to dinner. They buy cars. They buy their own houses with this. So the money that starts off illegally winds up essentially ultimately coming into the system, getting taxed like any other transactional you know, situation, and that money goes into the coffers of the state of Arizona. If you shut down the border tomorrow, if you stop the drugs, if you stop the cartel tomorrow, the state of Arizona would be in bankruptcy. They would literally collapse from no money. So the whole problem here is that this has gone on for so long and it becomes so bad that nobody wants to do anything about it, especially in the legislature, because they know they would literally have no state to govern the next day. But isn't this truly a national situation that's very similar indeed? Yes, and let's talk about that for a second. You know, one of the questions that always comes up with me because this came up in a 2011 investigation is why do we have a heroin problem in the state of New Hampshire, of all places? And it's because a distributor for one of the cartels, for the Guadalajara cartel, basically had a business just on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire and flooded New Hampshire because it was convenient with drugs. That's how you got drugs there. This is a national problem. State after state after state, especially border states for sure, have this problem, especially in inner cities. And where this becomes so important is not just because we have, you know, now what, several hundred thousand, I think 170,000 at last count, you know, you know, kids dying of fentanyl overdose. It's not just because of that, but that's huge. And that should turn everybody's stomach. But it's also that the ability to affect elections is not something that has to be done on a statewide basis. Um, there's a lot of testimony that's been given to this over the years, and even Democrats in the House of Representatives and Congress have said, 
if you want to affect an election, the outcome of an entire presidential election, just find key counties in key states, in you know, essentially what we call purple states, and, and screw up the system there. Take control of the system there. You only need one or two counties in three or four states to totally change the outcome of a presidential election. That's the danger we have here. So we have the danger of narco dollars now basically controlling everything. You certainly have the problem of narco dollars being so infested into states that states can't get out of it. It's kind of, I call it like the cigarette tax. Why don't we just ban cigarettes if they're evil? Because we can't. We tax them and we take money from them. Same thing with liquor. We tax it and we take money from it. Now we don't obviously specifically tax drugs, except that we do with marijuana. So we've already done that. Now we tax marijuana. You couldn't make marijuana illegal tomorrow because of the tax monies that come from it. Well, we obviously don't tax cocaine or methamphetamine or, or fentanyl. Not but what yet, we sir. do is we not yet, not yet, yeah, exactly, not yet. Although states, some states are trying. But what you wind up with is yeah. you wind up with the dollars coming from those sales, from the distribution of that cash once it's been laundered into the system, and that provides multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not close to a billion into the revenues of the state of Arizona and into the revenues of other, of other states. And that's what you're seeing. That's the danger. And that leads to the control, ultimately, of those three or four counties that you need in order to affect elections. So it's an infiltration. It wasn't, probably wasn't even so much planned. I'll, let me say one more thing about this. People need to understand the cartel's a business. It's not, it's not a drug empire. It's a business. It's no different than IBM or DuPont or Apple for that matter. It's in the business of making money. I've said this before. If pork bellies yielded a higher profit than fentanyl, you'd all be eating bacon in the state of Arizona. You're not because the profit margins on drugs are as high as they are. It's a business. And if you're going to have a business, you're going to have what? Lobbyists. You're going to have influencers. You're going to buy yourself politicians. This is how every business operates. It's how it works. The only problem is, You're gonna is that in this case, competition. You're gonna, and it goes on and on that's and on right. and on. Jacqueline and it goes on and on Fine. and on. That's the danger. Jacqueline Brieger, question for you. You had explosive testimony. The mainstream press virtually didn't cover it. What kind of follow-up have you had to take these investigations to the next level? You you distributed a booklet so they could get their handle on everything. Has there been any follow-up? Are we going to go to the next level, or have they simply kind of went, "Oh, that was neat. Goodbye." Where are we at on that, Ms. Brieger? The follow-up has been to try and sweep it all under the rug. Um, you know, the follow-up has been to um, and to put Liz Harris, you know, the, the representative Liz Harris, up uh, in front of an ethics committee. The you know the follow-up is trying to squash this entire story or discredit it, um, which is you know, in a way to be expected, but in a way disgusting. I mean, there has not been one single call to myself or to Mr. Thaler from one legislator to say, you know what, I just want to understand this better. Let me sit down with you. You know, there is no way I could sum up a three-and-a-half-year investigation in 20 minutes and give every single last detail. I was asked specifically to speak on what we had discovered in terms of election fraud. And so I had to be, you know, very precise and speak on to that issue. Um, as, you know, as Mr. Taylor shared with you, a lot of the history, you know, in today's call. Um, but nobody has come forward and said, 
let me understand more. Let me let me even try and dispel these issues. You know, let me prove you wrong. Let me prove you right. Whatever it is, let me investigate further. Yeah, and I've done more on this radio program. I've done more on this radio program than all of them put together is the summation, ladies and gentlemen. Put that in your thought process. Lance? Well, listen, we know that they don't want to touch the story with a 10-foot pole. There was many that we actually, uh, when we were getting ready to interview Ms. Breger on uh, Twitter Spaces and Mr. Thaler, we invited lots of politicians to join the community and come on. We had 31,000 people tuned in. They're not going to do anything about it. You know, my question is, Sam, you know, this this investigation, I believe, goes uh, way past Arizona. It's in 21 or 22 states. This money laundering organization is national. What about the sheriffs? What do you think, Sam, the constitutional sheriffs? Wouldn't they all be interested in finding out in their specific counties what in this investigation is actually outlined that would be really relevant to them? They might have chargeable offenses and crimes that they could easily investigate on their own behalf. And you know what? Sorry, yes, I think that's true that. on a specific on a specific sheriff cases. I think that's true in some of the smaller counties. But we'll get into this in a second, Ms. Brayer. But I'm convinced that look, most of the law enforcement are as corrupt as the rest, or most of this would have been stopped a long time ago. Well, you know, the other thing that I have uh, I have been inundated inundated with calls. My my phone does not stop for one second with calls, emails, texts messages through our websites, no matter however anybody can get in touch with me, from all over the country with stories saying that they have had XYZ happen and where you know and whatever it it what I said in my in my presentation totally resonated with their experience. And that is you know, that is also frightening because it's not just Arizona. I mean Arizona happens to be an epicenter of it and and you know, very, very infiltrated. But I'm getting calls from people in Florida, in, um, you know, in, in the Midwest, in um, California, all over Hawaii. I got a call from someone yesterday. I mean, it is everywhere. You know, look at the amount of victims we're talking about, Sam. It seems like with that many victims, law enforcement should be doing their job. But I agree with you. Uh, we've got so much corruption at the, you know, at the congressional level inside the states, the law enforcement, the judicial systems. And we're talking about state and federal. I don't know how we fix this, but we absolutely need to address this issue because, you know, look, look, the cartels at this point, they seem to have incredible influence nationally on who gets elected, how they get elected and how big the margin is that they win with. Well, I, Ms. I can Ms. tell you guys Bray, that I, I have, that. I have Go ahead, well, I, I've received I've received calls from from sheriffs, uh, you know, not just in Arizona, but certainly in Arizona, who have set, are at their wits end, you know, who know this is going on within their counties, you know, have gotten no help whatsoever from the attorney general's office or from any other, you know, especially in Arizona, any other law enforcement community and are looking for ways to gather evidence. You know, to be able to present to grand juries, be able to get indictments and, and ultimately convictions. And, you know, if, if it has to start small, then it does. I, I, like I said, we were not in this for, for the law enforcement part of it. What, what we do is we investigate for clients who believe that they're getting ripped off in some way uh, and can't figure out how it's going or, or why it's not stopping. That's essentially what we do. It's a large part of what we do. 
you know, we also have a whole lot of other clients who love us where I, I represent them in all hosts of matters that have nothing to do with anything racketeering. But when it comes to racketeering, it's something we specialize in. It's something I specialize in, and we investigate. And part of what we do is we talk to the clients in advance about what we might find and about going to the police and going to law enforcement. Some clients are very big on doing so. They, they want, you know, they want uh, you know, the, the perpetrators caught and, and, and certainly arrested and convicted and thrown in jail. Some of them, for privacy reasons and sometimes for their own internal security reasons, don't want to do that. Uh, you know, so it's a, it's a mixed bag. Remember, we work for them, and my job is to do what they, what they ask. So our job was never here to, to raise you know, anything with law enforcement, except to the degree that our clients allowed us to do so. In this case, starting roughly in 2021, after about two years of investigation, a number of my clients said, yeah, this is such a big problem, and trying to get you know, our, our handle on it is so, is so large scale that, yes, we, we appreciate you going to law enforcement. And we did. And that meant going to attorneys general's office. It meant going to federal offices. It meant having the right meetings, et cetera, and taking certain legal actions in other states. So, you know, it's funny. Most people have done this kind of dumpster dive of whatever I may or may not have filed uh, in the state of Arizona. What they don't realize is that for things that are filed in the state of Arizona, there are filings in other states and other counties directly on these issues where we've been able to stop the progression in, in a number of cases uh, you know, of some of the fraud going on. We've been able to stop some of the payroll theft. We've been able to stop some of the insurance fraud and some of the bankruptcy fraud by having the meetings we've had. So not everybody is, is out to lunch on this. But certainly in the state of Arizona, in the state of Arizona for sure, you know, you're going to have to start from the ground up. And that means looking at this on the local level, both local communities and certainly in counties, and having sheriffs who are willing you know, to go after this, to clean up their counties, you know, look at this as a localized issue and prosecute it on that basis. Look, if you could scare enough people out of this, you know, you'll slowly push this out of Arizona. But as I've said before, until you figure out a plan to secure the border, until you figure out a plan to keep drugs out, and by the way, that also works on the user end, figure out a plan of how you're going to reduce user need. You know, if you still have a demand for fentanyl, fentanyl is going to get here. If you, just like if you have a demand for cocaine or methamphetamine, it's going to get here, and you can't stop that. So you've got to work all of these different angles to ultimately shut this down. But in the meantime, you can certainly make it better by starting with the local crimes that have been committed and working your way out. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What we're talking about is Arizona racketeering exposed, ladies and gentlemen. Elections in crisis over bribes. That's just one aspect to this massive case of evidence revealed, George. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, the, I mean, the corruption is not only in Arizona, it's across multiple states. And we're in a premise of will anything get done? And that's the biggest dilemma. We've seen multiple times our judicial system is corrupt. Nothing, nothing gets done. It's, it's rules for thee, but not for me. And, you know, what's our next steps to preserve our freedoms in this country? And one of the most important things is, you know, free and fair elections. I mean, I don't know, Sam. It's, it's, it's tough right now, but I can say a lot of people are working diligently behind the scenes, working to make those corrections. And it's just, it's, we're going to need a whole ton of unity. We have to all come together, support each other to get this done. You know, there's... Amen to that. This you know, Lance, without it's just God. not going to work. 
Without God, I don't know that we can fix it, Lance. It's too big, buddy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all have to turn to God in this situation, uh, you know, because I don't see a cavalry. cavalry. I don't see a white knight. I, I just and I don't at this point, there's so many law enforcement agencies that the corruption is just pouring down from the top. You know, they're weaponized against we the people. So, Sam, I've got my fingers crossed. You know, I pray every night that something's going to come down the pike to help us. But I, I just want to say that what's important is that people are heroic and take action like Ms. Breger, like Mr. Thaler. And they're out there letting us know the depth of this. And the truth is, everyone, every listener you have, every follower we have, everyone needs to call and push on Washington, D.C. and their own state agencies over and over again. Call, write, do everything you can to put an unlimited amount of pressure on them. Let's make them as uneasy as possible. Ms. Brager, let's talk to you for a second. I don't know that we can get out of this mess without God Almighty or something like that. This is just too massive, too many multi-threaded, too many uh, people uh, are in jeopardy where they will fight against this tooth and nail. They've just got too many resources and too much. Uh, I'm afraid that it's going to take God to, to help us out of this thing. I agree. I mean, absolutely. It's going to take God to help us out of this for sure. Um, it's also, uh, you know, something that, that you just said, it's vital that we do all come together. There are so many different factions of, you know, different, <clears throat> different you know, beliefs, different areas, and also to just open the conversation. You know, everybody is so, so quick to jump down everyone else's throat instead of le letting people just discuss and have a conversation. You know, I, as Mr. Thaler and I have said to many people who have contacted us and said, we're skeptical or we don't believe you or whatever, and we say, good, we hope you're skeptical. We want you to be skeptical. We want you to dig deeper. We want you to look at what we've, you know, what we've uncovered and, and, you know, with a critical eye so that, you know, at the end of the day, the truth, you know, prevails. And that's, that was the only, you know, that was the reason that I came forward was, you know, I'm not, I'm not as anyone, as I'm sure you've heard in, you know, in the previous interviews and stuff, I am not a political activist. I, um, I don't even um, align with any parties, you know, specifically. I've always been a swing voter. Um, I... I'm an immigrant as well. So, you know, my my understanding of American politics is, you know, somewhat limited. Um, I came here as an adult. Um, so, you know, that was never my motivation for coming and standing up in front of that committee. Um, my motivation was, was the children, the children. You know, there are too many children who are dying of fentanyl overdoses. There are too many children who are being trafficked. There are too many children who are being... Um, absconded or, you know, as in the case of, of Mr. Thaler's son, you know, and used as leverage um, for political or financial gain. Um, you know, it's got to stop. That has to stop. Um, there are too many innocent children who are getting caught up in adult nonsense, honestly. <laughs> um, Mr. Thaler hasn't not only seen his son, okay, for two and a half years. He hasn't even had a photograph. He hasn't had a telephone conversation. He, in fact, doesn't know for, you know, for fact that he's alive or dead or that he's even in Arizona or where he is. That's horrific. Well, and that brings up the flight risk uh, reality of Brittany as well. Part of the problem is if we don't get a handle on some of this very quickly, uh, Brittany may just uh, go to Mexico or get protection or be gone. Uh, John Thayer, there's something to that concern, too. 
Um, I don't know if there's an urgency here by anybody, but man, that that to me seems like the quintessential point. Well, one one of the things that you know I decided to include in in the book, which is something I normally wouldn't, is a a chapter on you know child abduction and parental alienation, um, because it's not just me. You know, it's not just me and it's not just my child, although those are obviously extremely important things to me. People don't understand how prevalent child abduction is and, and what we call parental alienation, which is where one parent alienates a child against another parent. Um, I would bet you, because not a single card or letter that I've sent has gotten through to McKinley, not a single birthday present that's been sent has gotten through to him, I would bet you that they've told him that I'm no longer alive. So this child is going to, you know, who's now five years old, who's going to you know, be on the Internet very soon and be able to find things out for himself, is going to find out that his, that his mother and his grandmother and that family lied to him. You know, I can only imagine the further damage that's going to do. Uh, is she a flight risk? Of course she's a flight risk. And I, and I don't blame her either way because either she risks the wrath of family and the people for whom she's worked or she risks the wrath of law enforcement. These are not good choices. At or the both. moment, you know, she sits, or, or both, and at or the both. moment, she sits that, somewhat. It's true. Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. And you know, like I said, some people have said to me, "Are you well? Why did you come forward with this? Aren't you putting McKinley in danger?" And I said, "For sure." I said, "But you know, there's a point after 29 months of this, a uh, 29 months of this not getting worked out in some way, where you know you have to do what you have to do." This child has a right to a life, and what happens is, is that he's been kind of basically kept, basically kept indoors, doesn't go to school like a normal kid, does not have the normal opportunities of a normal kid because of this situation. And you know, so his life already has been diminished, even, even, even without father involved. His life has been diminished by what are essentially child abusers, and that's something that needs to have light shed on it. You know, this is child abuse, and when parents do this, they are abusing their children. And so, you know, whatever good I can do in the system, which I've worked in for 32 years now, uh, my father was one of the top family attorneys in the country. You know, he worked on a ton of legislation to try to stop these very problems. So, you know, kind of in his honor, you know, I say to other parents out there, I understand. And I've heard from parents who have had similar things happen. You know, the system is broken, and especially in Arizona. And if I can use my voice to fix that, then I've done some good. And this, I wouldn't say this is worthwhile because damaging even one child is never worthwhile. But at least it will give purpose to all of this. Lance? I mean, look, I, you know, he summed it up really well. And at the end of the day, any father would be operating in exactly the same way that he is. I mean, who wouldn't want to defend any honorable and help father. their Let's say that. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. Any honorable father. I mean, I know if it was my own child, I would have all the same concerns Mr. Thaler has. What I think is so relevant, was Ms. Brieger said, was, you know, it's this attack thing, Sam. Whenever there's a real story, whenever you're over the target, they come out of the woodwork. They attack us because that's their way to discredit the real stories. This is a real story. These are facts. Our uh, election system is under attack. We are being controlled by outside countries, by uh, cartels by criminal organizations in D.C., whether it's the super PACs or the dark money or the, the foreign agents that are controlling different politicians. Listen, this is so important. And the more we get attacked, the more we realize the truth is. 
So I don't, you know, I don't know where we go from here. I'm not sure how we do it. I mean, George and I discuss this constantly. You know, how do we fix this? What's the solution? How do we take back control of our country? And we always talk about that it has to happen at home. It has to happen at a grassroots level. When stories this massive come out, we have yeah, the to key right now is the new, media, the new media taking center stage because if enough people can learn about it, then we can come together. As Miss Brigger said, the key right now is the new media taking center stage, though. One hundred percent. I'm convinced that that's one of the grand keys. Their gatekeeping narrative is gone in the media now. And now all we got to do is grow our audiences. People are flocking to us and jettisoning the mainstream press. What we need is the funding to, to, to propel us to the next level is what's next. But then I think we can help uh, Mr. Thayer uh, and we can help uh, well, Ms. Brieger let, let me, and these let, people. Let me, let, me make, well, let me make a comment about this, too, because sure. this is one of the things that people need to understand. One of the things that happened in Arizona, although cartel monies had been involved in Arizona for an awfully long time, obviously, that's, that's nothing new. But after Donald Trump won the presidency on, you know, in November, uh, I believe it was November 3, uh, or actually, I don't remember the date, I, somewhere in November in, in 2016, the day after he won, when it became clear that what he was going to do was shut down the border, at least as best as a president could with presidential authority, that's when the cartels went into action in Arizona and other states. If you look at the activities, if you look at the drug surge, just look at the drug surge of fentanyl. Um, what you see is that the moment Donald Trump became president, you have this surge of intake of drugs. And that's because monies had to be raised to get him out of office. Now, I I'm not going to comment across the country on whose machines worked or whose machines didn't work. I think that's a very complicated question. Whether the outcome of 2020 overall was affected, I think is a very complicated question and not one that simply – you know, simply, you know, the commentators will say he, you know, he won, but he didn't, but he lost. He I think it's very complicated. But what I would say is this. You know, if you're running a multi-billion dollar empire and a president of the United States is going to do things that are going to shut down your business, if you think that there's not going to be a, not just a flood of money to the other candidate, you know, dark money especially, as you talked about, to the other candidate, but also infiltrations into county systems to be able to change outcome, then you don't understand what a multi-billion dollar industry is. Roger that. Jacqueline, John, we're flat out of time. Thank you so much. We'll never solve it in two hours, but I will say this. The way we solve it is the new media taking center stage. The way we solve it is to keep our eye on the ball and stick together. Miss Prieger is exactly right on that reality check. Uh, for John, for Jacqueline, for George, for Lance, and yours truly, Sam Bushman. We declare we the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will save the greatest country on the face of the earth. God save the republic. <laughs>